Hey there, here's what's coming up on the podcast today. Great news with the vaccine. Plus, we're going to dig into Bill 213. What does it really mean that it is passed now at Queens Park? Let's get to it. Oh my goodness, can 2020 get any weirder? It's just been, it has been a year where the word unprecedented had been, has been used an unprecedented number of times, and it continues today. Did you hear in the news? This, to me, is is a shocker. It's just, it's a gobsmacker. It's just blown me over. Um, and that is, the Doug Ford government has been accused of hoarding cash. Yes! Spend more money, Doug Ford! That is the accusation from the financial accountability officer that says the Ford government sitting on billions of dollars, not spending the cash, hoarding it, putting it under, a ca- under the mattress. What are you doing with your cash? Ford government says, not so. We have spent this money already. What a weird year. Like, you have too much money. Please spend more of it. So that is what is going on uh, in the uh, province today. And everybody wants to talk about a vaccine. Don't you want to talk about the vaccine? I tell you what happened in the UK early, early this morning. Absolutely historic. When we get to a point when we finally write the history of this pandemic, and it'll come in a nice box set, uh, you know, a commemorative edition. It'll come probably with a plate maybe, uh, you know, something to hang on the wall. And in there, of course, will be what happened early this morning. When that U.K. grandma got a jab in the arm, ooh, and gets the very first vaccine. Coming up on the Alan Carter Radio Program, Redmond Shannon. Redmond Shannon is going to join us from London to talk about the fact that the vaccine is there and has been distributed. We've already, also, a guy named Shakespeare's got it. So that's... Well, that's iambic pentameter. I'd say it, it's, it, that's what that is. It's pathetic fallacy. Pathetic. It's all those Shakespearean things. So we want to talk about the vaccine. I know we all do. And I think in some ways the provincial government wants us to talk about a vaccine. Of course, again, today, Doug Ford touring another facility. It's un- it doesn't appear he's actually going to take any questions. We have a DOFO show at 1 o'clock, as per usual, Doug Ford show, but it is just uh, him touring a facility. It uh, appears he will not take any questions today. And this follows yesterday when it was somewhat unfortunate. You know, there's a lot to talk about. We ought to talk about the vaccine, but uh, Doug Ford was not asked about the passage of Bill 213. And in some ways, I think the provincial government is embarking on, you know, a a bunch of moves that might otherwise just absolutely be top of the headlines, above the fold, as they say in the newspaper business. For example, the resignation of all the members of that uh, committee looking at the wetlands and saying that the, the Ford government is... In its new finance bill, it is gutting environmental protection, and that's a big concern. And yeah, that has made news, but do you think that's as important as the vaccine? Of course it isn't. And the passage of Bill 213, 
which allows the government to extend degree-granting powers to Canada Christian University, headed by Charles McVitie. That passes? Not a single question. Not a single question from reporters yesterday. Now, that I don't blame the reporters for it, because when you're you know, asking Doug Ford questions, you only have two. You're on a line. You're on, you know, in a lineup for a long time, really. And, you know, the top of the mind is, of course, the vaccine. So that's where the questions are. And that's where the questions that's where the questions will be. And that is why Doug Ford did not have to answer any questions about the passage of Bill 213, which, of course, as I said, rewards Charles McVitie, president of Canada Christian College. So the fallout from that continues. And let me begin here by taking us through both sides, because I do think, especially here on this program, we've talked a lot about Charles McVitie, and we have reached out to Charles McVitie and to Canada Christian College a number of times. We've asked uh, for them to come onto the program, uh, if, if they would, you know, had any comment, uh, and we had not heard anything back. But yesterday, after the passage of Bill 213, I did receive an email uh, from Ryan McVitie. This is Charles McVitie's son in a statement they put out and uh, issued to, same statement to a number of different uh, news organizations. And here is the statement from Canada Christian College and Charles McVitie through his son. Quote, After enduring possibly the greatest attempted character assassination in Queen's Park history, MPPs heard from a group of experts, professionals, and eyewitnesses spoke the truth at committee. There's a statement from Charles McVitie, and included in that statement is a lengthy video which takes portions of the deputations that were made to committee, uh, in advance of the vote on Bill 213, uh, and it includes the dean of the college itself talking about how uh, the students that are there now feel that they have been put upon, that they have been smeared, that he that uh, that their reputations have been called into question because of the controversy swirling around the previous statements and the positions of Charles McVitie. On the other side of the coin, of course, is the 519 and other groups, the 519 and LGBTQ plus uh, support group in Toronto that also spoke to the committee and said it is unconscionable for the Ford government to elevate, even in advance of this so-called independent process that's going to determine whether or not the school will actually be allowed to do what the legislation already passed, says it can do, which is hand out degrees for a Bachelor of Arts or a Bachelor of Science. And even in advance of of that independent process going through, what the 519 says is, by putting it in this bill, the Ford government has signaled that it isn't really an independent process, that it doesn't want it to be an independent process, that it has put its finger on the scales. And that may not be the case, You must know that when it comes to things like conflicts of interest, the whole point of a conflict of interest is the perception of a conflict. I don't have to prove, you know, that Bill Morneau, you know, knew the We Charity thing is going to help his daughter. 
who worked there, and he didn't recuse himself from that discussion. Just the appearance of it is an absolute conflict, and that's why Bill Morneau should have recused himself from that conversation, and that's one of the reasons that he's no longer the finance minister of this country. So it's a perception of conflict of interest that is important. And keep in mind who Charles McVitie is. He is a close friend and personal ally of Doug Ford. He helped Doug Ford win the leadership of the Progressive Conservative Party. And then, of course, he went on, Doug Ford went on to win the general election against Kathleen Wynne. And winning the Progressive Conservative Party leadership, of course, was key. Because pretty much, I think the Grinch could have beat Kathleen Wynne in 2018. I mean, really. So the 519 says you've already put your finger on the scales on this. And that by rewarding Canada Christian College by passing this bill, it has amplified intolerance against gays, lesbians, trans people, Muslims, In response, Canada Christian College, in its statement, I just put out a a number of the portions of deputations that went towards the committee, and they had a number of people, including uh, Michael Reardon, the academic dean from Canada Christian College, as I mentioned, and also a man named Dr. Christopher DiCarlo. Uh, He is an author of a book, I believe, called The Canada's Most Vocal Atheist. He is a teacher, an author. Uh, He frequently debates Charles McVitie at at public events. Uh, And he told the committee that he did not see, when examining the curriculum, and here it is, quote, I have examined the curriculum, and to be clear, At no time did I observe any bias that might indicate hatred towards the LGBTQ community or Islamophobia. Without fairness and fair rules that apply to all people, we have a singularity of thought. I don't think any of us want to live in a society like that. I know I don't. I am quoting from Dr. Christopher DiCarlo, who I'm not familiar with his work, but he did speak to committee on behalf of Canada Christian College. Keep in mind that he had... uh, gone to events with Mr. McVitie in the past. Um, He talks about the fact that he doesn't agree with Mr. McVitie, but that Mr. McVitie, of course, is entitled to his opinions. And I don't think anybody, certainly me, I do not quarrel with that. I don't quarrel with that even in the slightest. Charles McVitie is entitled to his opinions. Canada Christian College is entitled to apply for the power to grant degrees in Bachelor of Arts and Bachelor of Science. No take any issue with that. I will I will finish with what the 519 had to say about this. And that's this. Do we want a degree granting institution in the province of Ontario? It is a hostile environment for gays, lesbians, and trans. Because you imagine a trans person going and attending Canada Christian College or whatever it might be called once this, if it goes through the PCABs, I think it's Christian University, something like that. I mean, is, is that what we want in the province of Ontario? 
We don't know how long it will take until this independent process is complete. So we wait. And the provincial government has said, well, we're not going to proclaim this bill that we just passed into law until that process is complete. So now we have all these other things that are in this bill that are supposed to be about red tape and the pandemic that just hold on, hold your horses. We're waiting for this independent process here about Canada Christian College. I think I'll leave it here. In the United States, they have Liberty University. And I have drawn comparisons before to Mr. McVitie and the Falwells. Would you agree with the assertion that Liberty University is not, by definition, an extension of the belief and, and the uh, convictions of the Falwells? I don't think you would. So why would you then believe that Canada Christian College would not be an extension of the beliefs of Charles McFeedy? It doesn't make sense. He made early this morning in the United Kingdom where Margaret Keenan received the first of two planned jabs of the vaccine for COVID-19 at Coventry Hospital outside of Birmingham with television cameras capturing the moment live. Here's what it sounded like. We don't know yet how the vaccine impacts on uh, whether you transmit the virus. We know that it makes I think we'll, you we'll just jump out of there. That's not the uh, right uh, bit there. Apologies for that. Uh, what we were hoping for there was a, a, a bit of a jab and a, there you go, sweetheart. That's all there is to it. And some snaps of the cameras as Margaret Keenan steps up and walks away from getting the first of two planned doses of the vaccine for COVID-19. Redmond Shannon, his reporter for Global National, joins me on the line from London. There must be considerable excitement in the UK over this, Redmond. Good afternoon, Alan. Yeah, there, there is, of course. I think it is around the world, really. I mean, everybody's watching this because so many countries have ordered this vaccine, too, from Pfizer, Pfizer uh, uh, BioNTech, and they're um, the first out of the gates, as it were, and the UK is the first to approve this particular vaccine for use uh, less than a week ago, and already they've started administering it. So that was that clip that uh, didn't appear there was uh, would have been from 6.30 this morning. So they were up very early. All the camera crews were there, the media were lined up, and that uh, 90-year-old grandmother, Maggie Keenan, um, got the shot and she uh, was very um, matter of fact about it, but said it was a great day, a great early birthday present. She'll be 91 next week. She's a grandmother and um, she was a great uh, person to uh, to to d- describe that first moment, that first vaccine. And um, some of your listeners may be aware that the second person to get the vaccine was an 81 year old gentleman named William Shakespeare. So you can think of all the uh, the jokes that that uh, lined themselves up there. But um, it was uh, a lot of lightheartedness in the UK because it's been a long, dark year here, back in Canada, everywhere. And people need some good news. This is good news. It is being tempered by officials who are saying, you know, there's a long way to go yet. The World Health Organization, the British Minister for Health, all saying we still need to keep these measures in place. We still need social distancing. Wash your hands. Keep your distance. 
you know, listen to the to the rules because these vaccines are difficult to store. This needs to be stored at minus 70 degrees. Um, so they're difficult to uh, roll out and the manufacturing isn't exactly an easy process. So this is going to take months, months here in the UK, months in Canada and months everywhere, if not years. We know that in Canada we are expecting approximately a quarter of a million doses in the first tranche that is going to arrive very shortly in Canada. We're told that once the approval is there, uh, it'll be rolled out very quickly. What do you know about the amount of vaccine that is available to the UK and how quickly will it be distributed? Yes, so the UK has in hand now about 800,000 doses, which um, per capita here would be slightly more than the quarter of a million Canada is getting, but you know, a similar sort of slice in or, and, and with those 800,000 doses for a population of about 60 million, they want to vaccinate healthcare workers and people over 80. That's, that's that first section of the population that's going to be vaccinated. The hope is that 4 million more doses will arrive by the end of this month before New Year's. And of course, you have to remember, as you mentioned, this is a two-dose vaccine, so you've got to half that number. So 800,000 doses will vaccinate 400,000 people and uh, 4 million, of course, 2 million people. So as they work through, it will be going down through the age brackets until they get to about uh, the over 65s. At that point, then they're looking at vaccinating all adults who are uh, who have underlying health issues and then working your way through younger people. But that is going to take many more months. They're hoping to get the vulnerable, pe- pe- the vulnerable people and the older people in uh, the community vaccinated by April and then the rest of the population after that. So this is going to take some time. How are they handling congregate uh, care settings? And I will just say by... Uh, by way of background, we found out in Ontario yesterday that here we will not be able to get the vaccine into congregate care settings because of the temperature requirements. And the province here has now identified 21 hospitals that do have deep freeze cap- capabilities. So that's where the vaccine will go. And the logistics to then get the vaccine from there into a LTC to a long-term care home, that that's still tricky and we haven't worked that out. How, how is Britain doing that in terms of congregate care? Well, that's a similar situation here. So far, the all these vaccinations uh, at these centers are at hospitals where they have these uh, deep freeze facilities. So we can imagine that over the coming months, uh, other measures will be put in place, uh, mobile refrigeration units in order to be able to bring these to care homes. But right now in this initial phase, most of the people who are getting it and, and, and as we start off, it's going to be in hospital settings because of that difficulty in storing these. And that brings us to the, you know, the Oxford uh, AstraZeneca vaccine, which appears again, another study today says that one appears to be ready. It hasn't been given the OK yet, but that one can be stored in a normal fridge between two and eight degrees. And that could be huge. That could make things so much easier. So in the coming week or two, if that gets approved, then this really makes the job so much easier. And that's interesting, too, because that Oxford trial shows that the efficacy is considerably lower, like 70%, not the 95s that we've seen with Pfizer. But nevertheless, it still appears that it is on track to be approved very shortly. 
Yeah, that's right. And at seventy percent, of course, it's it sounds a lot lower, and well, it is a lot lower, but nonetheless, it's higher than the the uh, seasonal flu shot. So that tends to work in terms of dampening down the virus and you know getting a hold of things. So if it can get to seventy percent of the population, you get it here. It will make a huge difference in controlling the virus, and then slowly over twenty twenty one, allowing people here in Canada and everywhere to slowly get back to some sort of normalcy. Redmond, so great to have you on. Thank you so much for taking some time. Thanks, Alan. Have a good one. Bye. That is Redmond Shannon, who is a correspondent for Global News based in the UK, in London, with an update on the very first recipient of the new COVID-19 vaccine. Exciting days. But the question, I think, for a lot of people, especially this was a question for Doug Ford yesterday, is what about those who are hesitant? I got a bit of the hesitancy. I don't know about you, but I'm hesitant. Are you vaccine hesitant? Are you thinking about, well, maybe not the first tranche or the second tranche. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll get the sixth or seventh tranche. Tranche, just a fancy word for slice. I'll have six tranches, please. And what an eye-opener our last segment was when we opened up the phone lines and asked questions about the vaccine and vaccine hesitancy. I asked the question, are you hesitant? Uh, now that the first vaccine dose has been given to a grandma in the UK, it's just around the corner now in some ways. In other ways, it's not. It's The, the corner's pretty long, considering that the majority of us, those of us who are not frontline healthcare workers or in congregate care settings or have a comorbidity, those of us may not see a vaccine until, you know, well into the second part of 2021. We just don't know that yet. But it's interesting when we open up the phone lines and you get all those calls and, you know, what did we get, like eight or nine calls and I think only one said, yep, sign me up. And the rest said, I'm going to wait. Our polling information seems to indicate otherwise, that, you know, what we heard in terms of calls is not necessarily representative of what's happening in the wider public, that there is a wide acceptance of getting the vaccine and the majority of people will. Uh, interesting to see how it goes forward. Of course, you you know that Doug Ford was asked about this yesterday and said again, and I think he might have been asked about this, like, I don't know, I think we're up to like 20 times now, where he's asked, should we make this mandatory? You know, should we send the OPP around? Hey, it's Thomas Kareek at the front door. He's the commissioner of the OPP. He's got a syringe. Like, and Doug Ford says, no, no, we can't, we can't do that. We don't live in that kind of society. Can't do it. So that'll be something that's very interesting. Other thing that was just fascinating yesterday with Doug Ford uh, at the uh, Daily Dofo Show, the Doug Ford Show, which by the way comes today at one o'clock, but it doesn't appear Doug Ford will be taking any questions, so it won't even be interesting. I mean, he was not going to freak out and call somebody a Yahoo or, you know, go on an absolute champion rant. What's the point? And this was a question to him yesterday about the Auditor General report. So the Auditor General yesterday released uh, her annual report, and it looks at a bunch of different things. And one of the things it looked at was the Hamilton LRT. Now, just to put this in context, two weeks ago, the Auditor also released a report in which the auditor was quite critical of the Ford government in its response to COVID-19, said that the COVID-19 response in this province is not being led by public health. In fact, it is being led by something else, and that the chief medical official, uh, Dr. David Williams, is not actually doing his job. 
not actually exercising the powers that he has. And Doug Ford came out and said, just ripped into the auditor and said, this thing is full of inaccuracies and stick to your lane and do the job that we hired you for and so on and so forth. So then flash forward two weeks and the auditor drops this report in which the auditor is somewhat critical of the former liberal government and a former liberal cabinet minister about the projected cost of the Hamilton LRT and what a difference two weeks makes. Listen to Doug Ford now. Uh, but how, how can you how can you trust Stephen Del Duca when he was totally dishonest and he knew about it the whole time? That it wasn't the accurate figure. Now the truth has come out and th- this is what I mean. The, the, the Auditor uh, General's report, I, I, I love this sort of stuff. <laughs> oh, it's so rich. Oh, it's so rich and creamy. Yeah, of course, Stephen Del Duca is the uh, leader of the Ontario Liberal Party, former transportation minister under the uh, Wynn Liberals, uh, and uh, was part of the entire planning and, and the process for the Hamilton LRT, which then the conservatives came and canceled. So the uh, the auditor says, you know, Shame on the liberals in in this one little section of the report. And next thing you know, it's this this. I love this kind of stuff, man. That auditor is awesome. <laughs> I, I, I love this sort of stuff. Thank you, thank you, Doug Ford. Oh, good stuff, everybody, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, hey, listen, can I just do a programming note about what's coming up tomorrow? I couldn't be more excited about this, Scott Galloway is going to be with us tomorrow. I don't know if you know him. He is a best-selling author, a host of a couple of really popular podcasts, including Pivot and the, uh, what is it called, the Prof G Show. That's his other podcast. Uh, And he's going to be on the program tomorrow to talk about his new book, Looking at the After Effects of COVID-19. Because here is something I'll tell you is 100% true, is when they come to write the history of the pandemic, uh, they'll point to today where the first vaccine was handed out. But what we've experienced up until now, that'll only be a small portion of the history book because it's the after effects of the pandemic and what is coming that is the most important part. That's the podcast for today. Don't forget the Alan Carter Show, weekdays, starting at noon.